0: Uh, Father, I pray for for Graham. Jesus, I I pray that you you stand alongside him as he's uh, bringing uh, the the words and the message from 1 Peter to all of us this morning. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would anoint him and uh, help him to not only bring what you've given him to bring, but to enjoy bringing it too. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Again. Hey. Response this time. Hello, good to see you. Um, this morning, now that we've had Easter, do you remember Easter? Yeah, it was. I know it was a while back. Now that we've had Easter, we're going to start a series that runs into uh, summer, uh, and it's sort of carrying on with the thing we've done all year, really. Um, so, if you remember, we started with responding to God, hearing and responding. To God. And then we did relying on God. Do you remember relying on God? And then we did risking it for God. Don't upset the preachers by saying you don't remember that. It was with, yeah. And so this, this time we're going to look at something which is sort of the last bit, if you like, the last piece in the discipleship puzzle, um, which is about resembling God, that we are, we are witnesses. We are witnesses by what we say, but we are witnesses by how we how we present, if you like, or how we appear. So we're going to look in the book of First Peter, uh, and I'd just like to read to you um, the very beginning bit of First Peter. So this is First Peter, chapter one, uh, and literally verses one and two. It goes like this: Peter. That's a rather predictable start, isn't it, let's be honest. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and sprinkling by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance." So this is, a, this is an interesting letter, and I want to just introduce the letter. Now, in our New Testament, the sequence is that you get Paul's letters, including Hebrews, which might have been written by Paul. Uh, And then you get Peter and James and John, or James, Peter, and John. Interestingly enough, in the Orthodox version of the New Testament, it works the other way around, and you get um, those letters at the beginning, and then Paul's letters. Not that it makes any difference, but here we are. But there is something interesting about the sequence about this letter. So Peter wrote this letter to the churches that were evangelized by the Apostle Paul. So he wrote a letter to the churches that were evangelized by Apostle Paul. But we know that Paul wrote letters to the church, so why did Peter write this letter? Well, he wrote this letter probably because at the point of writing this letter, Paul has been executed in Rome so the churches that he planted are now without the apostle that planted the church he's been executed peter is writing to them which is interesting now one of the interesting things about this is that some people say well it might not have been peter who wrote it because it's it's very good <laughs> i mean well, how how nice is that to say it's a bit good are you sure you did that but of course one of the things that people who are saying that don't appreciate is where peter has come from all they're looking at is his starting point so people say peter couldn't have written this because he started off as a fisherman in galilee so he was a bit rough and ready well yes, he was. He was a bit rough and ready. Goodness knows he was rough and ready. But by the time he even gets three years later and you read what he said to the crowd, he's quoting the Bible, and he's beginning to speak persuasively, and this is 30 years later. And what we have to first of all understand from the, from the letter that Peter gives us is this is what the Holy Spirit does with a rough start. So you have a rough start, but God can make a smooth gem. And, and that's what's happened to Peter. By the time Peter finished, there's no doubt Peter had people helping him correct his spelling and so on. But what Peter is saying is important, we want to talk about that today. So he's written this mostly to a Gentile group, but not entirely, and this is important. The letter he's written to has been the churches that the people in Rome who were being persecuted by Nero have run away to. So you've got a church that's been planted and is there. Nero has set fire to Rome and possibly fiddled, but hey, there is no evidence at all in any of the documents that have come from Panama that he did any fiddling (laughs) whatsoever, but what can I say? Um, However, everybody in Rome thought it was him that set fire to Rome, everybody because they knew that he wanted to rebuild. So when the chips were down, he just pointed the finger at the Christians, because they're a soft target. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Anyway, by the by. And so, the Christians who were in Rome, a lot of them fled, and they ended up in the Gentile churches. So a lot of the Christians in Rome were Jewish, and they ended up in the Gentile churches that Paul had done. So it's an interesting mix. So the people who arrived in the churches that Peter is writing to are from a different culture from the people that are in. That's interesting, isn't it? Two different cultures suddenly brought together unexpectedly all saying we're one in Jesus but we're very different people." Does that sound familiar? Nah, it doesn't happen nowadays, that kind of thing. People aren't displaced and end up in churches. So, um, so he's writing like that. and This question is quite important. And he wants to really encourage them. He wants to encourage them in a range of ways. So, and I don't want to steal the various preachers' thunder. So, he says that, they should remember their identity is in Jesus, that they're not where they came from. Their identity is in Jesus. That's who you are. You are and have an identity in Jesus, that you have an eternal inheritance. It doesn't come from being a Roman citizen or a Greek or a Jew. It comes from your inheritance in the Father. He wants everybody to know that God has a plan for the church. He hints at in this first section. He wants to point out that if you stand up for Jesus, suffering is inevitable. And he tells them that. Don't be surprised. He shows how lots of others, and he's making this point because Paul, remember, has been executed, that others have gone on before and done what they've done. You're going to get more of this from the various people who are going to speak. He shows about how the way we live in front of other people makes a difference. He tells the church to stand in hope, and he endorses righteous leadership. So in other words, be a good congregation, choose good leaders, leaders, behave yourselves. So that's quite important when you've got a church that's in change. So these churches are changing. The people who've been saved are from the local town suddenly there's an influx of Christians from elsewhere. And he says that there's a challenge, not just in how you as a church respond, but how your leadership responds as well. So we're going to look at all of that as time goes on. But let's just talk about these first few verses in which it says, two gods elect strangers in the world scattered throughout the area who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkle of His blood. Now, there are some people who like to quote this because it says foreknowledge and elect and go down a route which we sometimes call hyper-Calvinism. Have you come across hyper-Calvinism? It's not quite the same as a sort of, you know, hypermarket, but it is. It essentially says this, God decides before the beginning of the world who's going to be saved and who's not. And it doesn't matter what you say or do. The people who are going to be saved are going to be saved, and the people who are not going to be saved are not going to be saved. Now, as Baptists, bless us, in, in, the, in the early 18th century, we, we used that as a domination. we used that as an, as an excuse to give up completely. And we sort of sat in little holy huddles and went, uh, what will be, will be. There's no point in telling anybody about Jesus. There's no point in doing anything because if you're going to be saved, you're going to be saved. If you're not going to be saved, you're not going to be saved. And if you're going to be saved, you can do whatever you like because it doesn't matter because you're going to be saved. Are you seeing that this is a bit Rather, rather interesting theology, Um, somewhat passive. This is not actually, and I don't want to get into that argument, but this is not what this passage means anyway. That's not actually what Paul is saying, Uh, Peter is saying, sorry, in this. He's saying, look, what you need to understand is this, is that God has a plan for His church and he's known about the plan all along. He's already known. So, Mark said what he said, and Simon chose the songs he he chose, and Simon said, well, it's like it was planned. Well, it wasn't planned by Mark and Simon, but the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing, and God works like that all the time. He had a plan. He knew what we were like, and he had a plan. And his plan was this, that people who were from a Jewish background who were the chosen nation up until Jesus arriving, were going to be mixed in with us Gentiles, apologies to any Jews here, us Gentiles, and we were all going to be mixed together, and that was going to be God's elect. And Peter knew this because he got sent to the house of a Roman centurion, and he saw All these non-Jewish people saved through the gospel of Jesus, and he knew that. And now, Jewish people are going into churches where they are the strangers, and Peter's reminding them again that we are the church. And that was God's plan. And he hasn't identified this individual or that individual. He said, here is the plan, join in. Does that make sense? that's the plan. But understand this, this is what Peter is saying. He's saying, we are the church. It's a big plan. Do you feel part of a big plan? Because there's a big plan. And the plan is for the church. And you are welcome to be part of that. Of course, you're equally welcome to opt out if you like, Apologies to all the hyper-Calvinists, but you're welcome to opt out if you like. The thing is, you will miss out on God's big plan, and God's plan is enormous. But above this, he says that part of God's key plan is that we are set apart to be obedient to Jesus. So, we are going to follow Jesus. That's why we become the strangers. The world follows, well, goodness knows, X Factor and the stock market. And the only way is Essex. Actually, the only way isn't Essex. Um, But it is a way. There's no doubt about it. But the world follows wherever its nose leads, whatever its appetites drag it to. Whatever deception is current to the time, whatever level of superficial entertainment is going to distract, but we are not called to be like that. We are called to follow Jesus. But the plan is this, and God's Holy Spirit has already revealed it by prophecy today, is that you are invited not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus has done. Your qualification is in Jesus, that all you have to do is say yes. It doesn't matter how bad or how good you are. It doesn't matter how much you've done or not done. It doesn't matter what's outstanding. You are invited to join God's special plan. Don't pass that up. So, Peter then, he wants to link to the church Paul's teaching. So you might say, why is it then that we did the story about Abraham? Okay, well, this is the thing. The interesting thing about the letter to Peter is Peter writes to Paul's churches. And what he tries to do is make sure that those churches remember what Paul taught them. Peter is humble. Peter is an apostle in Rome, he doesn't write to the church and go, look guys, you know how it used to be Paul, Well, it's the big guy now. He doesn't do that. In fact, a lot of the time you can read what Peter is saying, and it might just as well have been Paul that was saying it. And that is his plan. That's exactly it. That's his attitude. His attitude is I don't want you to see me. I don't particularly want you to see Paul either. What I want you to do is see Jesus. And he says, because you're sanctified by Jesus. Now sanctified is a is a tricky word. Sanctified means two things. It means consecrated for use. So, we have things that are really holy. I bet you have some holy things. Do you have some holy things in your house? Um, Do you ever notice, I don't know, maybe you're not, there are two kinds of people that I've discovered, right? There are those who get really upset when good stuff gets spoilt. And there are those that really irritate those that get really upset when good stuff gets spoiled by not being bothered that the good stuff's been spoiled. (laughs) Which category are you in? That was, it's ruined. Yeah, it's only stuff. Of course, it's only stuff. Yeah, you know, but sanctified is both. Sanctified is not something that's so special that it can't be used. Sanctified is made special for particular use. Now, in the Old Testament, in the temple, there were a range of implements. There were things for for burning incense, there were candlesticks, there were tables and bowls, and they were sanctified. They were made holy and then set apart for particular use. We as Christians, we are called not to have all that ritual anymore. We're not called to be under all those laws, instead we're it. We are the set apart for special use, set apart for special use, but Paul, Peter is using what Paul had already taught the church, that you are set apart for special use. So what Peter does is he cleverly uses Old Testament teaching that Paul had used to point out that when we all come together, you're not of this faction or that faction, you're not Jewish, you're not Gentile, you're not Roman, you're not Greek. All of that's besides You've been consecrated for something different. Do you feel that? Do you know that? Is that something, can you feel God's hand on you separating you out for a special purpose? Because that's what we are. We're called to be separate. One of the really good things I like about being a Christian is this is that the more you follow what goes on everywhere else, the more like everybody else you begin to feel. I'll give you a few examples. Okay, so there are lots of people who are into sport. Now, how is it, and I'm not knocking anybody, I'll just notice it. How is it that everybody used to ride bicycles dressed one way, but suddenly since the Olympics they're all dressed differently. I mean, when did we go from running shorts to three-quarter length lycra if you're going out running? I mean, it's, I don't know, it happened about two years ago, but, but suddenly everybody is. It, it, there's something about following the world that means that you end up always looking like everybody else. Whereas God made us unique. He made us unique individuals. But only by being set apart by Him do we retain that uniqueness. We come together not because we are the same. We come together because we are different. That's why we come to We are sanctified for a use, which is extremely exciting. So I just want to point out two things here. The first one is. That God said in the Old Testament, and we shared it as a verse, in, in Joshua 3, God said to the people of Israel, He said, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow I will do amazing things among you. And that's a verse as a church that we took hold of, that when we are set apart, we can be doing something special. But when we are ordinary, we are like everything else. Does that make sense? When we are ordinary, we are like everyone else. We are like everything else. Now, I'm not suggesting some kind of spiritual elitism. What I'm suggesting is that we think differently about why we're here and what we're doing. We are not here to be normal. That's a relief to some and a shock to others. (laughs) But we're not. We're not here to be normal. We're not here to be usual. We're not here to look like everybody else. We're here to be different. Now, can anybody be different? Yes, of course they can. The remarkable thing about joining with Jesus is although… Although you've joined with a whole load of other people, you don't end up looking the same. Join it. Now, I used to say this, right, and I'll, I'll use me as an example. When I trained as a social worker 150 years ago, there was a stereotype, I'm sure it's long gone now, of what a social worker was like. And I used to, I used to go to social work offices, and there would be social workers, and they would be dressed very similarly mostly in non-leather goods, um, uh, driving eco-friendly cars. And the one interesting thing was that they all had their local authority diary with a big thick rubber band round it to hold it in the correct page. And the amazing thing was that in a unique fashion statement, every single one of them had managed to draw a diagonal line in Biro up and down it when they were clearly bored in some meeting. What shocked me was that not only had everybody had the unique idea to draw a diagonal line down, but they'd all drawn the diagonal line in the same direction. Even left-handed people went the same way. I convinced myself that I would be the first social worker ever on the planet ever to not look like a social worker ever. I can remember the horrendous day when I sat in a case conference and I looked at everybody and I looked at my diary with its thick rubber band (laughs) and the diagonal line. And I asked myself, how did that happen? How did that happen? And I'll tell you how it happened. It happened because I was just mixing in and fitting in. And it, it kind of just catches you without you even noticing. Have you noticed that? Is it just me? It's not just me. I know that. But it is me. But it's not just me. And the thing about being set apart for Jesus is that Amazingly, that doesn't have to happen. That no matter how like everybody else we appear, God calls us to something different each time, and that's exciting. But we have to take the risk. So here's the thing. We have to stand firm in the Word of God. We have to stand firm in God's Word and not become useful, if that's the right word, or set apart for common use. We have to become special. And Paul said that to his churches over and again, and Peter repeats it. The second one is this, that we have to look like where we're mixing. So, I looked like a social worker. I tried not to, and I did. Spot the cyclist. Shopping round town, it's not hard because you can't walk in those shoes. Spot the motorcyclist. You know, it's easy, isn't it? Spot the Christian. How do you spot the Christian? We are called to resemble God. That our direct relationship with God is our spiritual effectiveness. Because we are sanctified and strange, we are effective because we stand out. This is what Paul said to the Ephesian church that Peter is now writing to. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ, and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your formal way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. and Peter teaches holiness to the church like God, like Paul did, to be like God. The same as the Old Testament set apart to be useful, so he's saying we have to be the same. Set apart to be useful. So we are called to be holy. If we want to be spiritually effective as a church, we need to be different, but we need to be useful. There's no point in us thinking that we are elitist because we're not. Peter didn't think that he was elite. When Paul died, Peter didn't try to be the new guy, the new big boss. What Peter did was he just tried to carry on where Paul lived. When Abraham was visited, Abraham was very rich and held huge land. He got up and he ran round after the strangers. He was humble. He washed their feet. Jesus washed feet. We are elect, not so that we can lord over people, but so we can serve them We are known because we are different. We are securing ourselves enough that we don't have to look after ourselves. We can trust our God and serve others. We are the standout people. We can be holy. The world is not our home, our home is what's to come. So Peter is doing all of that. He's saying. you've got some new people arriving, they're very frightened, they think it's all going wrong, remind them that it's not going wrong, it's God's plan. Welcome them because you're all one in Jesus. You're not different, You're, you're the same. Remember that you have been set apart to be different. Notice how different it is. Be like that. It's good. It's okay. Don't be alarmed. But don't give up. Be holy. So that's the challenge. How important is it to you to be different for Jesus? Or how desperate are you to be the same as everybody else? Jesus said one or the other, can't serve both. I'm calling you today to make a decision to stand out for Jesus. Let go of the old, take hold of the new. Jesus can turn you. If you don't know Jesus, He can change your life today. He can take you out of the old and the new. It doesn't matter what you've done. He will purify you. He purified me, not because I'm any better, quite the opposite. But by His power, He can do that for you today. Be set apart. So here's a question. Is there something you need to let go of? Is there something you need to confess? Is there something that needs cleaning up so that you can be sanctified and useful? Is it time to do that? What is the standard? And I want to leave you just with a question. What is freedom in Jesus for you. If somebody said to you, you can let go of anything, anything at all that you currently don't want, whether whether that's a fear that comes up, whether that's a recurring dream, whether that's a fault that you keep falling into, whether that's an attitude that you can't cope with, whether that's a way in which you're dominated by someone else If you had the choice to let go of one thing, what would it be? Maybe today, maybe today is the day to do that. We can be set apart to be useful. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you that the words of encouragement that come from Peter to the churches that Paul reached were at a time of crisis and difficulty for them. Lord, we know difficulty. We know fear. We know anxiety. Lord, we know when we let ourselves down. And yet, you have the power and authority to clean us up, wipe us off, and make us useful again. Lord Jesus, just help us to see the truth, the promise that there is in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.